Since 2015, Pop Health Podcast has brought to you some of the best minds in healthcare, including leaders from government, not-for-profit, and investor-backed powerhouses, as they share successes, failures, and how our audience can move forward in today's constantly evolving healthcare world. Thank you for joining us for today's episode presented by 24-Hour Home Care. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. I'm Gavin Ward, host of Pop Health Podcast. In today's episode, we had returning guest, Dr. Takashi Wada, who serves as the Chief Medical Officer for Inland Empire Health Plan, a local initiative health plan that is ensuring and serving more than 1.6 million members in the largest geographical counties in California for a health plan, which are San Bernardino and Riverside counties. In today's episode, Dr. Wada shares a little bit about what he saw in year one of CalAIM, which is the California Advancing and Innovating Medi-Cal, and what is coming down the pipe in year two, including a focus on individuals transitioning from nursing homes to the community and a continued uh, effort for those who have experienced homelessness or the justice served population as well. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Feel free to check out other episodes of Pop Health Podcast by visiting us at pophealthpodcast.com or checking us out on YouTube or just wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy today's episode. Dr. Wada, thanks so much for joining the show again today. Great. Thank you for having me again. Absolutely. So folks, uh, for those of you that haven't seen or heard Dr. Wada's episode, uh, we actually had him on uh, about a year ago um, when CalAIM uh, or the California Advancing and Innovating Medi-Cal um, was brand new. So one of the reasons we invited Dr. Wada back was to hear about the results of year one and what's to come in year two. But before we do that, um, even though, Dr. Wada, you are a repeat guest, uh, we always like to kick it off with getting to know you a little bit. I know many of our listeners or viewers may not have seen or heard the first episode, but regardless, maybe something different than last time, uh, maybe something about yourself that might surprise the audience. Sure. Uh, so, yeah, I was uh, giving some uh, thought to the fun fact, and uh, there were several that came to mind. Uh, but after thinking about it more, I don't know that I want them to be uh, public and living forever on the Internet. So exactly. <laughs> I'll stay with something pretty <laughs> safe, um, which is uh, uh, my Spanish is a lot better than my Japanese. So I'm Japanese by heritage, but uh, my wife is uh, Mexican-American. And um, I've also spent some time doing international work in Mexico and South America. Um, this was even back before I was uh, married. I uh, used to, uh, when I was working at UCLA, I used to uh, help run a student-run clinic just over the border in the city of Tecate. We'd take a bunch of undergraduates and medical students from UCLA, some residents, and we would go there every every few months to, to run a, a little border clinic. We'd take supplies and medications. But I've also worked further down in Mexico in the state of Nayarit and Chiapas and also in Peru. Um, doing some international work. Nice. So let me ask you, your Spanish is better than your Japanese. How about your food taste? Do you like Japanese <laughs> food better or do you like more south of the border, you know, Mexican, South American uh, food? I pretty much eat anything. Wow. That is your wife and family are lucky. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. yeah well, well uh, anything except alpaca. So I don't know if you know what is alpaca. I've heard uh, of it, but it, it, it's an animal um, down in Peru. Uh, looks kind of like a llama or a llama. Um, and when I was uh, doing international work in Peru, 
I initially signed up to go work down in the Amazon and uh, there happened to be an outbreak of dengue fever and I didn't really want to go expose myself to that. So I, I got hooked up with uh, um, a group going up into the Andes Mountains, which was very, very high altitude. And I was not prepared for that. And uh, so I ended up getting pretty sick from the altitude, altitude sickness. And also I didn't have any of the appropriate clothes. But for some reason, one of the only foods I could eat um, was alpaca. And so I would eat alpaca breakfast burritos, alpaca sandwiches for lunch and alpaca steaks for, for dinner. And I wore alpaca fur clothing uh, because I didn't have anything warm. Uh, and after that, I, I swore I would never uh, eat alpaca again. And have you stuck to it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Nice. Well, let's uh, actually, before we jump into um, year one and uh, maybe giving the audience a little bit of a reminder of who Inland Empire Health Plan is, um, staying on this personal side, um, how's the last year been for you outside of work? Have you, um, I know where some people might argue we'll still on the pandemic, still not. I know you have a family. Any uh, personal highlights you'd like to share with the group before we jump into the, the business and healthcare side? Um, yeah, nothing, nothing that really stands out. Uh, just uh, another year, uh, you know, married to my uh, wonderful wife. Kids are a year older. Um, I'm in my 50s, so I got my screening colonoscopy. That, that <laughs> thought about that. Uh, I guess lead by example. So <laughs> that everyone gets their, uh, you know, screening uh, done. Uh, it's always good to do your preventive care. Uh, but yeah, not, nothing, nothing really stands out. Okay, good. Well, it sounds like overall things are going well for you, Dr. Wada. So let's go ahead and jump in to uh, what's been happening at IEHP or Inland Empire Health Plan. Now, I know many of our listeners uh, or viewers, Dr. Wada, are familiar with Medi-Cal and how that's, you know, basically Medicaid in California. And some may be familiar with IEHP or Inland Empire Health Plan, which is one of the largest health plans um, um, really, a, well, maybe not in the nation, but he definitely here in California in, in seven figures. So give the audience a, a quick reminder of who IEHP is. Sure. Uh, so Inland Empire Health Plan. So you're correct. We administer the Medi-Cal program or Medicaid uh, for two very large counties here in California, San Bernardino County and Riverside County. Um, the Inland Empire is huge geographically. It's about 27,000 square miles, which I believe is bigger than maybe 10 states in the country. It's a population of about 4.75 million. Um, and of those, uh, IEHP covers uh, about 1.5 million members um, in our health plan. So uh, about 30% uh, of the population here has uh, IEHP for their health insurance. Um, about of those 1.5 million or so, we have about 33,000 that are duly uh, eligible in both Medi-Cal and Medicare. Um, we have about 3,000 employees, maybe more than that at this point, um, over 7,000 providers uh, contracted in our network. So we're, we're a pretty big uh, public health plan. So you mentioned 3,000 employees. I know as the uh, chief medical officer, uh, some of those are under your team. Uh, quick opportunity for a plug, any roles you're hiring for, um, for your team or IEHP that's you'd like to share with the audience? Oh yeah, that would be great. Workforce is, is definitely an issue for us. And so we, we are hiring across the board, um, not just uh, licensed healthcare uh, in terms of you know, nurses, social workers, but even analysts, administrative staff, coordinators, 
uh, we do have a lot of openings right now. Awesome. And if folks are interested, um, you know, in exploring those, is it like uh, IEHP.org or what's the, the best Correct. way? Around? Okay. Yep. Everything will be posted on our website. Okay. Awesome. Thanks, Dr. Wada. So we talked about IEHP. Most folks by now who are listening um, probably know about CalAIM, but maybe like you did with IEHP, could you give a high-level overview of CalAIM again? I know you did last year too, uh, but less in the weeds, just kind of a high level, and then we'll jump into some of the results. Sure. Uh, so as you mentioned, CalAIM is an acronym. It for, stands for California Advancing and Innovating Medi-Cal. Um, it's really a transformative multi-year initiative uh, at the state level, and so the local health plans are, are implementing that. Uh, and it's really designed to improve the quality of life and health outcomes for Medi-Cal beneficiaries. It streamlines Medi-Cal. It really helps us to address a lot of social determinants or social drivers of, of health, really looking at our members from a whole person perspective. Um, it, uh, I'd say some of the bigger components, uh, again, it, it works at all different levels of, of risk. So in, in our health plan language, uh, we like to look at our populations and what we call risk stratify them. But really CalAIM is working at multiple levels and there are multiple components of that. So there are new tools that we can use for our members that are at the highest risk. So enhanced care management, these are community-based wraparound teams that can help with care coordination, addressing some of these uh, social uh, determinants, drivers of health. Um, there are community services um, that we can now support, uh, some things like housing, uh, medically tailored meals. Um, there are other pieces of the healthcare delivery that were what we call carved into our health plan, both geographically, areas that we didn't cover in our health plan that have been now added to our geographic coverage area, some additional um, services such as transplants that have been carved in so that we're now responsible for instead of those going to the state, we're now responsible for that care coordination. There's a lot of emphasis on behavioral health integration um, streamlining the payment system. Um, there's a big a new component around population health management. Um, and this is looking at some of the other levels of risk. So ensuring that our members are engaged with their, with their providers, primary care providers, because that's uh, always an issue for us. Um, a lot around preventive care, um, maternal child care, um, health education, disease management, uh, so there are a lot of different pieces to uh, to Cal Aim for sure. Definitely, and again, I may have said it incorrectly, but it's uh, California advancing and innovating Medi-Cal. I think I may have said innovating and advancing. So thanks for saying it correctly, and you were so humble and not correcting me. Uh, yeah, I really appreciate that uh, overview, Dr. Wada. So year one, I know with IEHP and with many health plans across the state, um, you touched on it. Housing was uh, one of the initial focuses on many plans. Um, in year one, are you able to share um, any of what you've seen as a result of your efforts when it comes to housing or any of the other community supports or enhanced care management, whether that's some facts and figures or um, stories, you know, member success stories are always good too. Sure. Um, you know, one of the things when I talk about CalAIM and just sort of the social drivers of health, I like to sort of give a, a, a fictional uh, sort of story about how it works and how it addresses some of these challenges. And so 
um, you know, what I like to start out with, you know, as I mentioned, I'm in my 50s, I turned 55. And, uh, you know, I have I have good health insurance, I'm a, a good job, I'm able to take time off to go see a doctor. Um, I get my preventive measures, like my vaccines, you know, colon cancer and, and blood tests. And so, you know, I decided to go get a physical exam, an annual checkup. And, um, you know, the doctor says, oh, you have some borderline diabetes now. You got to eat better and exercise. So but fortunately, I have the means to do that. Uh, you know, I start shopping at Whole Foods, uh, maybe get a nutritionist consult, join a gym, get a personal trainer, get a new bike to ride around the neighborhood, um, then go back in a few months to see the doctor again, get my follow-up tests, um, diabetes, blood sugar much better, and so just ongoing monitoring. Now, say I have a fictional twin brother who's the same age. Um, unfortunately, he's had some bad breaks in his life, maybe had an accident, had some chronic pain, um, got uh, you know addicted to opioids, smokes, uh, has uh, suffers from depression, um, unable to work because of that regularly, um, doesn't have great health insurance, has trouble with housing, so he doesn't live in the best neighborhood and lives next to a freeway, um, just takes part-time gig economy jobs so he doesn't get time off, paid time off from work. Um, maybe he's a single parent, so he's got to figure out childcare if he needs to go see the doctor, uh, transportation is, as well. But let's say he overcomes all those barriers and still gets to see the doctor gets the exact same blood test that I do, borderline diabetes, doctor tells him, you know, you got to eat better, you got to exercise. Of course, he's not going to have the, the money to do that. There are no fresh food markets in his neighborhood. It's all liquor stores, can't exercise outside because of the crime and the gangs. Um, <clears throat> and so, you know, as, as you can kind of understand, my brother, fictional brother, he's probably going to live 20 years less than than I will. Um, and none of this or very little of it has to do with his genetics or biology. It's really around uh, his circumstances. And so as you've probably seen different types of studies and reports, really what goes into our health, only about 20% maybe is the healthcare delivery system. And the other 80%, it's, um, it's behaviors, it, it's the environment, um, it's socioeconomic factors. And so and in this fictional scenario doesn't even then take into account some of the other influences on health, like the different isms, like racism or sexism or you know, bias against LGBTQ communities. And so yeah, as a health plan, we we focus a lot on the health, health delivery system side of things, right? Where our, our job is to make sure our members get the right care, the right place at the right time. Mm -hmm. Um, but as we talked about, there's so much more that goes into how someone experiences health and gets good health outcomes or bad health outcomes. And so CalAIM is now allowing us to address some of that. Now, as a health plan, as a payer, are we the only entity that's going to work on some of these social issues? Uh, of course not. It's in partnership with some wonderful partners like the counties, like our community-based organizations, faith organizations the school systems, but now we have some tools that we can use to help contribute to that overall collective work that we're doing to address some of these social drivers of health. 
And so when you when you ask about the impacts of CalAIM, and again, I, I really applaud the state of California and the Department of Healthcare Services for um for launching this really ambitious uh new initiative. Um we we've already gotten a, a number of good outcomes. And you know, here in the United States, we have high quality, you know, amazing doctors. We have fancy hospitals. We have the new technology and we have medications. And I certainly want all of that for myself and my family. Uh, but now, you know, we have, we have to start addressing some of these social issues if we really want to get the health outcomes that, that we all want for our communities and our populations. Yeah. And there's been, so you mentioned DHCS, the significant funding. I think we talked about that in last year's episode. So billions and billions of dollars that have been um, earmarked for CalAIM and trickling down to plans and providers. Um, I've been doing the home care as my day job for 20 years, and I haven't seen this amount of funding really um, put out there. And a lot of the care is being delivered you know, in the home. So you mentioned uh, you have seen some successes, whether it's kind of general successes or even like a specific example. Can you share with us what success has looked like for you in year one? Sure. Uh, so I mentioned the uh, enhanced care management. That's an it's a new benefit started at the beginning of 2022. It was really sort of a, a carryover from a, a prior program called Health Homes, uh, but these again are for our highest risk members, the homeless, individuals with severe mental illness, um, high utilizers that are ending up in the emergency department a lot. Um, and so uh, we've developed a, a network of enhanced care management teams. Some of them are, are internal IEHP teams, but most of them are uh, teams that are housed with uh, providers and uh, some community partners. Um, so we now have uh, over 60 of those teams, and these are generally a four-person team. Uh, we have a nurse, sort of lead care manager, a coordinator, a behavioral health specialist, and then a community health worker. And you know, I love community health workers because they're they're out in the communities, meeting the the members or patients where they are, um, really helping with trust and getting them engaged in the system and navigating the system. And then the rest of the team is there to provide the the clinical support, uh, develop care plans, and things like that. Uh, so we have about, uh, I think, almost 11,000 of our members in enhanced care management now, um, looking to to certainly grow that number. And in, in that population, we've already experienced a, a number of great outcomes. So, for example, um, our, uh, the percentage of our members in enhanced care management that uh, have their blood pressure under control, it increased from 54% to 72%. Oh, nice. Just in the first six months or so, um, depression response increased from 27% to 39%. So we've had some great uh, health outcomes already from that program. You mentioned depression response. Uh, if I may have misheard, but can you share with us, forgive me for not knowing what that means. Um, sure. So so we track a few different metrics. One is just sort of documented, documenting depression screenings and making sure that the screenings are done uh, for for our members to see if they meet you know, criteria for depression. But okay. then if they have depression and they're responding to therapy or to medications and their depression uh, screening results improve, then that's depression response. Oh, nice. Okay. So it's so a double digit uh, improvement there as well. That's right. Cool. 
Yeah. On the community support side, we are now over 9,000 referrals. Um, the majority of those are, are related to housing um, and then uh, medically tailored meals are the two biggest uh, in demand community supports. Wow. So that's a lot. And those referrals, um, to those 9,000 referrals are, um, I'm guessing, to services that without Calaim may not even exist, right? So uh, for the most part, so. Right. We we did have, uh, at least through IHP, a housing program even prior to CalAIM. Um, and that was just something that we supported on our own. But with this funding, um, we've been able to expand that. So through the CalAIM community supports, um, there are a number of um, housing services that we're able to now offer to our members. So there's housing transition and navigation. Um, there's housing deposits. So if, uh, a member needs help up front to get into housing, to secure that housing. They need a deposit. Um, we can we can help with that. There's tenancy and supporting services. So sometimes the challenge is our member uh, gets into housing, but they have difficulties staying into housing if they've been homeless for, for a long time. So we have support wraparound services that can be provided to help them stay in the housing. Um, there's short-term post-hospitalization housing. So our members that end up in the hospital, we, um, if they were prior uh, experiencing homelessness, we can now help with that on a short-term basis. Um, there's also recuperative care. Um, that was also something we did pay for and support prior, but now we're, we're able to do more of that. So that's sort of the, the housing bundle within CalAIM. Okay, awesome. Um, so one thing I forgot to ask earlier, and I can't recall if I mentioned it or brought it up last year, but IEHP is a county-organized um, health system. Um, I believe I said that correctly. You're referred to as COHS, I've seen, C-O-H-S. How is a county-operated health system like IEHP different than like a, um, you know, like a Kaiser or Anthem or some of these like big insurance companies that people think of? Uh, well, so technically we're not a COS. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so um, there are, uh, and this is by choice of the individual counties in terms of how they set up their managed care plans. Okay. Uh, so a COS county, and some examples are Orange County, Santa Barbara, uh, San Luis Obispo, some of the smaller counties up in uh, Northern California. Uh, but they would be COS plans. And so they are the only Medi-Cal administrative um, provider for, for uh, as a health plan in okay. those counties. We're what's called a local initiative. Okay. So, or, or, and these are called two-plan counties. So um, in counties that decided that they wanted more choice, there's a local initiative, which is the public plan. Um, and so on our board of directors, for example, we uh, we have members of our county boards of supervisors, as well as some community appointed members. Um, and so we are sort of, a, a, a well, we're a public plan. And then within our two counties, there's also a commercial plan. Um, now, for I here in San Bernardino and Riverside counties, we have roughly 90% of the Medi-Cal population in IEHP, and the commercial plan only has about 10%. Um, so that would be the difference. There's some counties that elected to kind of have it open to as many plans, um, and they will have five different plans, including a local initiative plan, um, or, or even more, I think, at one at one point. Uh, so yeah, there are different models uh, in different parts of the state. 
Wow, I, uh, that is really helpful. And um, I've been doing Calame related work for over a year. I thought I had it right on that and I didn't. So I appreciate the uh, the education on the local initiative. So would would like, are you familiar with Calviva? Would Calviva be similar, like a local initiative instead of a county organized or are you? I believe you... they are, yes. Yeah, I won't hold you to it. I won't hold you to yeah. it. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for the education for me and hopefully uh, many others. So, um, the populations of focus. So like among enhanced care management um, organizations, the state has really asked for uh, those groups and for plans to really focus on populations like individuals coming out of incarceration, um, individuals experiencing homelessness. So uh, we've talked a little bit about the housing situation, but are you able to touch on anything that you've seen in year one or what maybe what's coming down in year two with helping individuals that are dealing with those issues? Uh, yes. So with the incarcerated population or justice involved, um, one of our counties, Riverside County, there a, a prior program called um, Whole Person Care, their Whole Person Care County program focused on the uh, justice involved population. And so <clears throat> we, we launched that um, right out the bat in 2022. Um, it's not quite launched yet in San Bernardino County. Um, and so the enhanced care management teams that we're using for that are county-based teams because um, with the justice-involved population, there's so much coordination that needs to happen with, with the jail. Um, it, it's very difficult because Medi-Cal or Medicaid gets suspended when members are incarcerated. Okay. And so it's it, their Medi-Cal actually has to get sort of reactivated, if you will upon release. But there are a lot of efforts at the state level to start that process much earlier so that the Medi-Cal becomes active immediately once they're released and care coordination can happen even while they're still incarcerated. Um, but we have a team in Riverside County that that's focused just on that population. And, uh, and so they work with the jails, they work with probation, they work with parole, they work with the, the, uh, the court system. Um, and ensure that the members, uh, are, again, are trying to achieve optimal health, but also addressing sort of recidivism for, of them getting back in, in, into the jail system. So their their coordination efforts are encompassing a lot of different aspects. Okay. Okay, good. That's helpful. So we're now in 2023. You've had year one. You've shared uh, some of the results with us. What is coming down this year that might be a little bit different than what we had last year? Uh, so starting in 2023, um, uh, at the beginning in January, there were a couple more populations of focus that were launched. Um, and when, when I refer to populations of focus, th these are populations that are now eligible for the enhanced care management benefit. Okay. And so the two that, that we launched um, were um, related to long-term care populations. So individuals who were in long-term care but wanted to transition back into the community and then sort of vice versa, members who are in the community that we want to support and keep in the community to prevent them from going into a long-term care institutionalized setting. Um, so those went live. Um, and then in, in mid-year, in July, another big population of focus that will be eligible for ECM is going to be the complex children. Um, <clears throat> and that's going to be a very big population a lot of children that are in the current CCS or California Children's Services Program. So these are um, a lot of children that have qualifying diagnoses for the CCS program. A lot of 
um, sort of complications that birth, um, you know, cer certain other diagnoses that make them eligible um, for that program. Um, a lot of them will be eligible for ECM, as well as the foster population, um, children with uh, experiencing um, mental illness, um, and uh, also children that are involved in the justice system. Okay, awesome. So, yeah, we anticipate that will be a, a very big population that will, will come in uh, midway through the year. And then at the beginning of 2024, there's another one that's going live, which is the birthing population. So these are going to be um, expecting mothers um, who uh, are uh, part of a, a category uh, that experiences significant disparities. So for example, African-American mothers who uh, as a category, as a group, um, experience much higher uh, infant mortality and birth complications. So they'll be eligible, again, for the same sort of enhanced care management services. Awesome, awesome. And just uh, to make sure our audience is aware, uh, Dr. Wada, for individuals looking for those community supports offerings, like uh, the housing services you mentioned, they don't have to be part of an enhanced care management group in order to uh, apply or be referred to community supports, correct? Correct. Yes. Yeah. Th those community supports are available um, for uh, for any member um, on the enhanced care management side. Uh, I'm sorry, on the community support side, I should say that every plan, those are those are voluntary. So not every plan will offer the same necessarily um, community supports. So we went out the bat with 11 of the 14 available. Um, in, in addition to the ones I already mentioned, uh, there are um, uh, home modifications um, where we can go in for uh, you know, wheelchair ramps, you know, widening doorways, you know, you know, dis other sort of disability uh, accessories and things like that. Um, sobering center, um, asthma remediation. So for our members that have severe asthma, we can go in and if they have allergy triggers like bad carpets or they need an air filter or something like that, we, we can now support those types of things. And then uh, midway through 2023, um, since we we're talking about new services, we're going to launch the remaining three, which will include respite services. So these are for the caregivers um, <clears throat> where we can support um, uh, agencies to come in and, and help with respite to give the caregivers a much needed break. Um, day habilitation services, um, as well as personal care and homemaker services. Awesome. So you guys will have all 14 um, come July. That's great. So Cal Aim, we talked about ECM. We talked about community supports and some other things. Um, outside of Cal Aim, we have the public health emergency. Um, you know, that's technically supposed to be ending coming up soon. Can you share with us how that will impact IEHP? Uh, that that will impact uh, all uh, health plans for for sure uh, because during the public health emergency um, there were not redeterminations so any member who's on medi-cal uh, they were allowed to stay on without having to verify that they were eligible um, now that the public health emergency is coming to an end that sort of process is going to resume so uh, everyone in medi-cal will now have to uh, ensure that they meet the criteria for eligibility. So we do anticipate uh, a number of uh, members that are going to drop out because their you know, circumstances have changed or you know 
during the public health emergency during COVID. They may have lost their job, but now they have a new job, um, and so they don't they no longer meet the the income requirements. So we anticipate probably ten to fifteen percent possibly oh, wow. uh, of our membership. Uh, or really Medi-Cal members across the entire state may drop out. So there are a lot of big efforts on on outreach to make sure our members are aware of that so that if they do meet eligibility, they can stay in Medi-Cal. Yeah, that's great that you're making that uh, that in outreach effort to, to set them up for success if possible. I didn't realize it, uh, across the state, there were so many Medi-Cal beneficiaries that could be impacted by this. Um, when is the timeline, the current timeline for that? Do you happen to recall? I know it's this year, but I, I forgot to look at the month. Do you happen to know? Um, I want to say it's uh, April or May. It's going to start resuming. Not all at once, of course, because there, there are just so many. But as sort of the anniversary dates come up, it'll be sort of a rolling redetermination. Gotcha. Well, that's uh, that's good info for our audience to be aware of. So, folks, if you do work with uh, Medi-Cal beneficiaries, um, be on the lookout. Um, and, you know, it's a good reminder to us, Dr. Wada, to also do outreach to our existing members uh, to make sure they're aware of this and how to set them up for success and stay eligible if possible. So, uh, Dr. Wada, really appreciate you uh, joining the show again. Um, is there anything else you wanted to share uh, about CalAIM IEHP before we wrap up? Um, sure. Uh, maybe maybe just that, you know, some of the, the challenges, I think, uh, we, we touched a little bit on this at the beginning. Uh, workforce is is a, is a challenging one. You know, sometimes we we have funding and we have these great new programs, but we don't actually have staff to to run them. Whether it's through IHP or one of our partners, um, so workforce is a, is a big issue for us, especially in the rural communities. Yeah. Definitely a, a big challenge when you have two big counties geographically, like we do. Um, hard, very hard to find professionals in some of those outlying areas. So, um, you know, big workforce shortage issues there. And then um, just trying to increase awareness and utilization of, of these programs um, that they're in place. Um, you know, we, we love to see uh, increased numbers, both in ECM and, and referrals into community supports. Um, we're doing a lot of uh, efforts around engagement. So a lot of our members, they, they don't even go in and see their doctors. So they're not even aware that these new programs exist. So doing a lot of work around engagement, um, using community health workers and other means to try to um, really get out into the communities where our members are to ensure that uh, you know, they're getting information from a trusted source. Yeah. Um, so a lot of work around that. And then just a, an overall big focus on quality and really trying, you know, all the point of all these programs is to ensure that our Medi-Cal members are getting access to high quality care, getting the preventive services they, they need and deserve and so that they can experience you know, great health outcomes and, and be productive members of society. So big push on, on moving the needle with respect to quality metrics. Yeah, quality is always, uh, I've, I've attended a few of your board meetings and um, I do know it's, I, I can tell it's a big focus of you guys as it is, it should be with all of us. So, yeah, uh, and, and related to that, looking at disparities in health equity, because uh, e even when we look at those metrics, there are certain subpopulations where um, you know, the outcomes are, are disproportionately worse. So trying to find innovative ways to, to reach those populations as well. Yeah, that's great. That's great info for those that weren't aware of those issues. I know a lot of uh, part of the states are experiencing the similar challenges, but thank you for, for sharing that about your two counties. Um, anything else, Dr. Water, before we wrap up for today? 
Um, no, I, I think that's it. But uh, again, it's it's an exciting time. Uh, there are a lot of new programs, even outside of CalAIM, uh, a lot of funding coming down for, for housing, uh, for, for behavioral health. We have a new initiative where we're partnering with schools to increase behavioral health capacity. As, as you can imagine, if through COVID and and well even before COVID there were there were challenges with our children and youth and behavioral health issues that was magnified during COVID so a lot of great new partnerships and working with schools and and educational institutions around that so um, yeah a lot happening in in Medi-Cal right now um, it, it's a, it's an exciting time definitely an exciting time. Um... And uh, I haven't been involved in the medical population much until just 2022. And uh, it's funny, our, um, you know, I, I've been with my day job for 12 years and I've never been more motivated because like you said, the, the Calium initiative is super exciting. Um, a lot of opportunity to impact lives. So uh, thanks Dr. Wada again for joining the show today and for IEHP making this happen. Um, again, Dr. Wada mentioned folks, if you're interested in learning more about IEHP, uh, check out, I, I believe it's um, IEHP.org. Inland Empire Health Plan is what it stands for. Dr. Wada, thanks again for joining today. Great. Thank you for having me. Thanks everyone for tuning in to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. And if you have and want to check out other episodes, visit us at pophealthpodcast.com, iTunes or Apple Music, Spotify, Stitcher, and now YouTube as well. Take care. <laughs>